where someone originates shapes who we are, right? And, and who they are, right? Cultures contain values, traditions, customs, and norms that just kind of get stuck within those people who, who come from those cultures, right? Not, not everything has to be explicitly taught to you because you can somehow absorb aspects of where you're from, right? No, nobody taught me that you're supposed to smile and wave even to people that you don't know. I just know that because I'm from the Southeast, right? The American Southeast. It just gets into your bones. Things about where you're from. Now, that could be a fairly superficial point about our affinity for the culture into which we're born. But there is a deeper point there about identity. Isn't there? The, the features of our culture that we imbibe and adopt are not just preferences, but are part of who we are. Our identity is not just the sum total of preferences we choose, but includes a a fair bit of what is infused into us from the culture where we're from. And here in Galatians 4, 21 to 31, Paul makes a similar point that your background, right, the, the place where you're from, your shaping culture contributes to your identity. He was more specific, though, that when it comes to your relationship with God, the origin of your identity before the Lord is decisive concerning whether or not that relationship is one for good or one for ill. Right? Whether you are from Sinai or the heavenly Jerusalem, the heavenly Mount Zion, right, shapes who you are concerning freedom in God's kingdom. And throughout this letter, right, as we've worked through it over the, the past Months, Paul works to persuade the Galatians to return to the gospel of pure grace. That has been his emphasis throughout. They had departed it. He wants them to come back to it. False teachers had entered this church convincing the Galatians that obedience to the Mosaic law was necessary to be a Christian, to be right with God. Rather than seeing good works done according to the the moral law, the Ten Commandments, as rather than seeing those things as fruits and evidences of salvation and and signs of of a living and active faith, well, well, these false teachers taught that good works, including obedience to the Old Testament ceremonies, were necessary for justification. Right, necessary for God to declare you righteous before him. And so these Judaizers, as Paul called them, introduced works into the basis of our salvation. And so Paul reminded the Galatians that the 
apostolic gospel revealed to him directly from Jesus Christ and agreed, acceptably agreed, by all the apostles was that God's people are justified by faith, not by works. Trusting in the Lord Jesus. Because law and grace operate on two different principles. Right? When it comes to justification, when it comes to your right relationship with God, the law has the basis of what you must do, but grace has the basis of what has been done for you. And when it comes to that relationship with God, these two things cannot be mixed as the basis for it. And so this passage before us details Paul's last appeal to to ground the true gospel in theological realities. Right? He's he's argued from the nature of the church early in this letter, namely that the gospel was revealed to the church's true leaders, right? And he's argued from the content and the chronology of the Abrahamic and Mosaic covenants, namely that God related to his people for salvation, for justification by faith alone, at least since Abraham, which entails that the addition of the Mosaic law could not have changed the condition of grace alone for how to be right with God. Now, now in this passage, Paul argues on the basis of our home. He argues based on where we're from. Right? Which city has our citizenship? Which mountain, the earthly Sinai, heavenly Zion, which mountain is our culture? Who is our mother? Right? And so the main point as we work our way through this is that Christian identity is shaped by what God says in grace rather than what we achieve. Christian identity is shaped by what God says in grace rather than what we achieve. Our three points today to help us consider uh, this, this claim are the path of faith, path of faith, a figurative interpretation, and the fear of relying on God. Path of faith, a figurative interpretation, and the fear of relying on God. So first, let's think about the path of faith. And the first thing I want to do is imagine together that you are standing on the edge of a big canyon, and you need to get across it. There are, though, two ways to cross this canyon. One is a sky car, a lift, or whatever they're called here, that you can enter, and it carries you across. And the other is a rope that you walk across. And, by the way, everyone who has tried to walk across this flimsy little rope has fallen off. It's a possible option. You can choose it, but it's never worked. And that is the relationship that Paul is describing between grace and works for being right with God. 
The other side of this canyon is your right relationship with the Lord. And to get there, you can be in Christ, you can be in the sky car, trusting him to to take you across the divide to be right with God, or you can try to get there by your own strength, walking on this little rope. To be under the law is to try to cross the canyon walking on a flimsy little rope. And so Paul started this, to, to tie that to what's happening here in our passage, Paul started this last section of his argument about the nature of God's covenant history with a rhetorical question. Right, Verse 21, tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? The Galatians, by accepting any sort of work, as the condition for their salvation, had placed themselves under the law. What does it mean, though, to be under the law? It means that the law is the premise on which they're trying to relate to God. Right? It's it's the foundation of how they want God to accept them. And Paul's opening question highlights that the Galatians were choosing that rope, to walk across that rope by siding with these false teachers who had come amongst them. They want to be under the law. They're asking to work their way into a good relationship with God. But Paul wants to know if they've truly paid attention to the message of what They're accepting, if they had understood the law's demands as they are given to us in scripture, they would see, they would see that part of the point of the, well, the point of the the Mosaic covenant, large in part, was to show that we need to avoid that route and pursue the path of faith. Right? So Paul asked that question because the scripture records That Abraham had two sons. And each encapsulate the effects of trying to pursue God's blessings by the path of the law or by the path of faith. We summarize what happens when you choose one of these methods. Verse 22 says for us, For it is written that Abraham had two sons. One by a slave woman and one by a free woman. And so Paul goes on to describe how the effects of belonging to one of these two mothers, belonging to one of these two places, right, has its own particular effects in our lives. And so what then does Paul say about these two sons? And that brings us to our second point, a figurative interpretation. We've seen the path of faith contrast with the path of the law. And now we want to see how these two sons encapsulate this principle of figurative interpretation. In, in verses 23 to 27, Paul explains uh, Abraham's two sons and their significance. He, he ties what the story about what happened to each of them to a wider theological reality. So verses 
23 and 24 open this discussion. But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through promise. Now this may be interpreted allegorically. I'm going to insert because there. Because these women are or represent, right? It's, it's a figurative reading. Represent two covenants. It's important to get that because back in there, right? This can be interpreted allegorically because these two women represent two covenants. Since these women are two covenants does not explain Paul's figurative reading, right? Which is, which is what he does in the rest of 24, but grounds his figurative reading, right? He gives you a reason that the fact that these two people represent two ways of relating to God is the reason why we need to think about them figuratively or think about what their story represents least. And so to highlight the significance of Paul's illustration, it makes a, a fairly shocking point if if we return to our own illustration about crossing this canyon again. So so the, the Galatians, what's, what's happening here in terms of this illustration is the Galatians are Christians but desiring to be under the law. Now this is like if you were riding in that sky car, right, you're moving securely across the canyon, you're safely inside, carried by grace, and then, then halfway across, you think you should be on the rope. And it's not like, because in our situation here in, in Galatians, right, it's not as if they had made a bad choice from the start to set out across the canyon by the rope in the first place, they were in the sky car, now siding, they need to leap out of it and land on the rope to continue walking across. Right? By their own ability. You can see why Paul thought this strategy was problematic. And the point in verses 22, I mean, sorry, 23 and 24, is that Abraham's two summarize, encapsulate the effects of belonging to two separate covenants. The effects are the same as taking a sky car or walking a rope across an open canyon. One son related to the efforts of the flesh, trying to walk across by your own effort, and one related to trusting in grace, being carried across. But Trying to leave the safe route for the impossible route was really the worst decision. Paul's use of these two sons here brings us back to why it's important to consider where we're from. Right? Verses 23 to 26. One is from Mount Sinai. You see it. One is from Mount Sinai bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. Now, Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free, and she is our mother. These false teachers had convinced the Galatians that it's 
it's better to be from Mount Sinai than from the spiritual Jerusalem. Just Abraham decided that he would rather receive God's promise of a son, of an heir, by his own effort than by trusting God to deliver. As we read in Genesis Genesis 16, Abraham ended up sleeping with someone other than his wife, having a child from that relationship, which then resulted in hardship within his entire family. And the point of of that story and Paul's use of it here is really that Abraham made a wreck of things every time, but especially this time, that he tried to pursue God's blessings by his own strength rather than depending on the Lord. It certainly would have taken greater patience and more full-throated trust as part of his as part of his faith for Abraham to wait on God to provide this son for him right especially since he he was old and Sarah was beyond childbearing years it takes a lot of faith to think that God can make this happen Yet, that's exactly what he should have done. And Paul took a a figurative interpretation of this Isaac and Ishmael story to point out that it, it represents the effects of two different covenants, a law covenant and a grace covenant. Two covenants based on the opposing premises of works and faith as the ground of our relationship with God. Ishmael was the son of a slave, representing Mount Sinai, representing the giving of the law, right, which promotes then spiritual slavery. We don't want to be from Sinai. That's not the culture we want to absorb because it's one of threats and when we don't measure up right israel didn't get to keep the land because they didn't keep the conditions of keeping the land and if we turn if we turn that conditional relationship into something other than about the land and turn it into how we're right with god the same thing is going to happen they lost the land we wouldn't get to have a relationship with god we want to be from somewhere else We want to be from the Jerusalem above. We want to be from the heavenly Mount Zion, having spiritual freedom. That brings us to our final point, the fear of relying on God. And this is where we want to turn to make a bit more personal application here, bring some significance uh, to this for how we think about the world how we live our lives we've we've illustrated the the payoff of paul's argument about these two covenants with the 
attempts to cross a canyon by walking on a rope or by on a flimsy rope or by being carried by a sky car. And in that light, the question that we need to ask is, why would someone prefer, right? If you, if you imagine yourself in that situation, it's a legitimate question. Why would someone prefer walking on the rope? That they'll, they'll obviously never truly be able to get across. What would motivate that? And the, the answer, very clearly, in the stories before us, has been fear. Now, which may not make exact sense, because the obvious route to be afraid of is the one that people keep picking. But, how do we see this in our stories, right? Abraham was afraid that God would not, or, or even could not, keep his pledge to provide a son of promise. He took matters into his own hands because he could not understand how God would do what he promised, apart from Abraham sort of smoothing over the obvious cracks in God's own plan. He was afraid. He was afraid that it wouldn't happen. The Galatians were afraid that the promise of the gospel of free grace were just too good to be true. Right? The false teachers had come along and and threatened them by teaching that they were not proper Christians unless, unless they kept the law for justification. They were afraid that they had not contributed enough to their relationship with God to be truly good enough in to be in a right standing with him. They were likely afraid of being cut off from not they were afraid not only of, of having a wrong relationship with God, but afraid of being cut off from the church community. Since even Peter had already made the decision not to eat with Gentile Christians, it it became hard for the Galatians to see how God would or could keep such a promise as he made in the gospel of grace alone. They were afraid. And so, the question for us then today, as we look upon these biblical instances, is what could potentially cause us to be afraid so much that we might depart from the path that God has set before us in following him by faith. What could make us so fearful that we would leave the path of God's promises for the path of our own strength? What seems so big to us that we are not sure that God will come through for us? Perhaps you feel overwhelmed by something about your work, right? Or financial concerns, some some feature of our earthy life, not worldly, earthy. 
There are things we need to do in the world. Abraham's concern was about something earthy, earthly, wasn't it? Having a son. When he was afraid about God not providing. Does it feel like God is unable to help you in your situation? It is very easy to feel afraid that our job, our financial obligations, some other thing about life will overcome us, will overwhelm us, and ruin our lives. It's easy to feel that way. Perhaps, on the other hand, you face some health issues, right? Whether whether it's you personally or or perhaps a family member, right? We we know, it's it's public knowledge, that there are several health problems on the radar of this congregation, even as we speak. Indeed, don't we see it in our story, though, that Abraham and Sarah were afraid... That God would not or could not overcome the bodily issue that Sarah was beyond childbearing years. It is very easy to feel afraid that we are subject to blind medical forces that will crush us. It's easy to become fearful. Perhaps... Your challenge is spiritual in that you feel your sin is too great for God to forgive unless you contribute something to your salvation. That's in the Galatians, right? The Galatians were afraid that faith alone was not enough, but that they needed to pay their part to contribute to obtaining justification. It's very easy to feel that the gospel is just too good to be true in offering totally free forgiveness of sin and restoration to a good relationship with God entirely by grace. It's easy to be afraid that that just can't be true. The sky car can be frightening Because you've no control in it. You don't get to do anything. What if, what if the cable breaks? What if the floor falls through? All the things that we imagine as if the supposed chances of this happening puts us in a greater position than taking matters into our own hands and trying to walk across this canyon by our own strength, balancing on a rope. But it's it's far safer to be in the car than trusting your ability. Right? The, the car was designed to carry you. And Christians, Christ has been appointed as our mediator, assigned by God to carry us. It's hard to rely on someone else. 
to place our trust outside of ourselves. But Christians, whatever your fear, be reminded that God has said that he will work all things together for good for the sake of his people. Paul wrote here, even in our passage, in verses 28 to 31, Now you, brothers, he's applying what he's just explained. You, brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. But just as at that time, he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him, who was born according to the Spirit, so also it is now. Right? What the Galatians were doing to them. Right? But what does the, and I mean, it's, it's the question you've got to learn to ask and answer. This is the memory verse for this week, right? But what does the scripture say? What does the scripture say, believer? Cast out the slave woman and her son. For the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. So, brothers, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. We're meant to throw out very clearly Paul's application here. We are meant to throw out the things that enslave us. Whatever might pull us away from from believing the promises of God. There are indeed hard trials in life. Whether that's right work, financial, home, whatever, health, spiritual, whatever it might be. Slavery seeks to persecute those who are according to the Spirit. And yet, God says we are meant to be free. Not working to get ourselves out of this hole, trusting God, following Him in the path that He lays before us. Where we are from, where we are from matters because believers belong to the Jerusalem that is free. Our home infuses us with freedom. And so we don't listen to the propaganda of someone else's home. That freedom comes from Jesus Christ himself. He has borne the burden of our sin. He has promised to be near to his people when they are sin. He has promised to help us carry whatever trial we may face. And when it comes to our relationship with God, it is easy to think we just need to throw in that much to secure the deal. Right? What, what might it be? What, what problem could it raise? Right? If faith is 99% and I just need to throw those 1% of works and one Puritan put it, the person who has said we just contribute one peppercorn of works to the issue of faith has created a hot peppercorn that drags us all to hell. We lean on Christ alone. He is the one who has fulfilled the law on our behalf and died to pay for our sin. He has removed the law's curse from us and carried us across the canyon to God's presence. And if God did not spare his own son, if God did not spare his own son, giving up the greatest 
price on behalf of you, believer, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? We serve the God who is trustworthy, who is able, and who has earned our trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father God, the world has many things for us which are not good for us. And yet what they mean for evil, you mean for good. And we pray, Lord, that as we face these trials, whatever they may be, we ask that you would ingrain in us trust in you, to follow you by faith. Whatever hard steps may be before us, whatever acts of trust we may need to exercise, Lord, we ask that you would help us in them. Namely, so that we would feel the safety, the comfort of belonging to the Almighty God who has taken us in your hands in grace, held safely within the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, God, we pray that you would work this out in very particular ways for the care of this church. We pray for spiritual care, Lord. Amen.